Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Cursed Dragonship Publishing. For Episode 4, I have the honor of interviewing Todd Faunastock. Todd Faunastock is a fantasy sci-fi author of the best-selling Tower of the Four, Threadweavers, and the Whispering Prince series. He was a finalist in the Colorado Authors League Writing Awards for the past two years for Charlie Fiction, his time travel novel, and The Undying Man, book two of The Whisper Prince. His passions are fantasy and his quirky, fun-loving family. When he's not writing, he teaches Taekwondo, swaps middle grade humor with his son, plays ticket to ride with his wife, scribes modern slang from his daughter, and goes on morning walks with Galahad the Weimaraner. Visit Todd at www.toddfonestock.com. If he's not your favorite now, he will be after. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. It's great to be here. So glad to have you. So we'll ask, as uh, you have your... Uh, wonderful winter is coming holiday sweater on. It's very nice. I would like to ask as my first question, what is your favorite holiday tradition? Oh, goodness. There's so many great ones. Um, okay, so favorite holiday tradition. Well, we just uh, just put up our tree last night. So that's one of our main favorite holiday traditions. I think like putting the ornaments on the tree and listening to really old Christmas music, like, you know, Bing Crosby kind of old Christmas music, um, and then drinking eggnog. Eggnog is a huge component to the trimming of the tree uh, event. So that that's definitely one of my favorites. I have uh, to ask a follow-up question. Is it spiked? Please. Is it spiked? <laughs> I actually, you know, I, I am no stranger to drinking, um, but uh, uh, I do not like the taste of alcohol in my eggnog. I don't like it even. And in fact, there are some eggnogs. This is an issue every single year. There are some eggnogs that actually put that sort of sting in, in the taste. There are some that don't and there are some that do. And I cannot get the brands that do. I cannot do it. They, they, they cannot have the sting of alcohol without having any alcohol in them. It's not good. That's so funny. I can't have alcohol in any milk-based drink, so I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Never had a white Russian. Can't do it. That's hilarious. Um, all right. That's a good answer. I love it. Not that it could be a bad answer. But here you go. <laughs> now, I will say I like to ask authors because this podcast is for readers, and the number one question readers ask are where do you get your ideas from? However, I have a specific one for you. Because sometimes ideas come from strange places, right? But they quickly fade. But rumor has it your novel, Summer of the Fetch, has a fascinating Genesis story with follow-through. That's the impression. Yes. So could you tell us about that? So Summer of the Fetch um, is, is uh, okay, so I'll give you the hook for Summer of the Fetch so people know what we're talking about to start. Perfect. Essentially, there's this young man, 17 years old. He's climbing, he's rock climbing in Canyonlands. Um, it's the first time that he's ever rock climbed and he's getting to the top. He's almost to the top and he gets stuck. It's the first time he's ever led a climb, which those of you who know anything about climbing know that you have to like kind of place protection as you go up. And then if you fall, you kind of have to fall past your protection and then it catches you. So he's gone 30 feet beyond his last piece of pro and he hits this, this overhang and he doesn't know what to do. And anybody, like I said, anybody who's been rock climbing has been to that point before where you're like, you know, looking for the hold and you can't find it and your fingers are starting to give out and your muscles are starting to give out and it's called melting off the rock. You're starting to melt off the rock and he sees a hold that he can get to, but he's going to have to jump for it. He can't reach it. There's no move to get there. So he's got to just jump and try and get it. He jumps and he misses. 
And as he's falling, these two hands come down, grab his wrists, pull him up, and secure him on the hold, right? And he climbs to the top of the cliff, and sitting on the top of the cliff, on a rock, poised in full climber regalia, is this beautiful red-headed woman, and she says, I'm your fetch. And he's like, what's a fetch? She says, if you inspire me, if you go out into the world and you do everything you've ever been afraid of, everything you've ever been inspired to do, if you show me and inspire me, I will make you invincible for the summer. But on the eve of your 18th birthday, you will die. And he reaches out and grabs her hand and accepts the deal. So that's kind of the hook for the story. And this story is, as I mentioned, set in 1988. And for years and years and years, I've been wanting to write something semi-autobiographical. And every time I'd start writing something semi-autobiographical or even autobiographical, I would get like, you know, I'd be really excited, get one chapter in, and then the next chapter I'd be like, yeah, it's still going. And then by the third chapter, I'm like, this is my boring, old, stupid life. And nobody's <laughs> going to want to read about my boring, old, stupid life. And so it would get shelved and I would never finish it. So... I had this spark of an idea because the, the, the idea of the fetch, this, this sort of, it, it's, there's a history to the fetch uh, and, and the fetch, the word fetch comes from Irish folklore, but the concept of the fetch actually was based even in earlier times over in Scandinavia um, by a creature called a filbjar. And I'm probably mispronouncing that, but if you saw the word, you would mispronounce it too. It's like, <laughs> F-Y-L-G-Y-H-A-R, something like that. It's ridiculous. To be uh, wise. Yeah, spelling-wise. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it's this 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 luck avatar, essentially. This, this, this luck guardian angel that can follow certain families. Anyway, so I've been wanting to put that in a story for a long time. And I went to bed on the night of the 19th. And this idea was kind of in my mind. It's like I've been wanting to write something from my past, something about my high school, something about Durango, something about some of these different elements that were in my life when I was at that time, plus certain things that happened to me in college, like rock climbing. I was not a rock climber in high school, but I was in college. And so I went to sleep on the 19th with this sort of simmering in my mind, got up on the 20th and wrote the first chapter, was like really excited about it. Went to bed, got up the next day, read the first chapter, and was like, well, this sucks. And so it was like the same scenario all over again. And I was like, I'm just going to put this in the shelf. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try one more time. Just one more time. I'll, write the, I'll rewrite chapter one and see if it grabs me. I rewrote chapter one, and the muse descended from on high to sit on my desk and play her lute. And I tell you... I could not type fast enough to keep up with the ideas that just rushed out of me. And it was like every time there might have been a moment where I didn't have an inspiration, I would remember something actual from my past. It would kind of slip into that spot and then I'd rush forward again. And I tell you, it got to the point, like when I got to the halfway point, I'm like, wow, I'm actually going to write this book. This is actually going to happen this time, right? And then when I got to the three-quarter poll mark, I was like so tired because this book took 13 days for the rough draft. I wrote like 60,000 words in 13 days. It was ridiculous. Holy 
It was ridiculous. Um, and it got to the point where the inspiration was coming so much that I felt like this vessel that water was flowing through, but the vessel was starting to break. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can keep typing on this book. Anyway, so it was quite an experience. I've never had anything to that extent before. Though Charlie Fiction was close, this one just completely took me over. I did not eat. I did not sleep. I did not pay attention to my wife or my children. I didn't do anything except for write. And after 13 days, boom, it was it was done so that's the story of summer of the fetch and fun fun story if you want an escape road trip 80s rock climbing love story with a twist it is what it is it is for you it's what you want to read that's awesome and chris mandeville was kind enough to put the uh, link in the uh in the chat there so anyone oh, who wants to see my avatar but always taking care of me she is she's wonderful um let's see we do have a question from the audience let's see so question for todd this is from dave dunn you've had an amazing year 15 releases i think something like that can you talk <laughs> about how long your book process is from first draft to final release so if you're talking about just this year it's been pretty rapid um though i will confess that i i, I think a lot of these releases have been shorter releases, so they're not like, you know, 300 to 500 page novels. But yes, I think you're close. I think I'm, I don't know if it's 15, but it's probably 12 or 13. So it's, it was a lot. Um, but it, it essentially, I've actually slipped into this rhythm the last month and a half. Um, like before, I, I was kind of ruled by inspiration, i.e. Summer of the Fetch. Um, and now I'm like, I got to get 2,000 words. If I don't get 2,000 words, I'm staying up till midnight and I go to sleep at nine, just so you know. I'm staying up as long as it takes to finish up the 2,000 words and move forward. And I've slipped into this really great rhythm, um, which if I ever write a book about writing books, you know, if I ever do my like writers, here's how you write a book, it will include this this uh, up until about one o'clock um uh, schedule that I have now. So it, pretty much I wake up at about five 30, um, or six o'clock, depending on when the dog starts whining. And, uh, he, he's my alarm clock. Now I haven't used an alarm clock for like a year and a half now. Cause we've had this dog that like his, his internal clock is ridiculous. I mean, like it's within five minutes. Like he knows he's supposed to be fed at two 30. He comes to me at like two 25 and sits in front of me. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they say dogs can't tell time, but um, around dinner time, my dogs assure me they can tell time. Oh yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if most uh, if dogs can't tell time, then he's a freak of nature because he totally can. <laughs> and so it's pretty much like five forty-five, and this is what I start to hear from his kennel. Like he'll just start leaking like a tea kettle. He'll just oh. a noise that like, you know, anyway. So, and then I got to get up because I can't, I can't sleep through that noise. I, I no. can't He's like, my bladder's full. Please, like, daddy, please. Time to go. Time to get up. <laughs> Anyways, I was talking about something. Oh, so that's my schedule. So I get up 540, 545, 530, whatever. Um, I get to the keyboard after putting away the dishes, making coffee for Lara, letting the dog out, feeding the dog, feeding the cats. All the stuff that I kind of do is my morning routine. I'll come up and get started no later than 6.30 is my my goal. Then I'll write from 6.30 to 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, I put it down no matter what because I have determined I've got to get exercise in every single day. I can't – you can't do – with exercise, you can't just be – like like writing a novel, you can just write a novel for 13 days and have a novel. You can't just work out for 13 days and have good health. 
That doesn't work that way. So at least not for not for me, not at this age. Or um, for anyone. No, you're correct. <laughs> um, and so I'll get up and I'll go for a six-mile walk. And on the walk, I will listen to um, uh, uh audio books on the business side of writing, like either, you know, how to market, uh, how to write the craft side, how to, you know, um, organize your schedule, how to do indie stuff. There's all kinds of, of resources out there. So on the way out on the walk, I listen to that on the way back. I listen to story. Like I'll listen to some fiction story to either, you know, to, to, to study, to study the, you know, the, the field out there of what's being created. Right. And I'll choose all over the board. Sometimes it will be nonfiction. 99% of the time it's going to be fiction. Um, but, but you'd be surprised how little of it is fantasy fiction just because I, I've read so much fantasy fiction. Like it has to be amazing for me to enjoy it at this point, just because I know all the tropes. I know all the, you know, the, the different specifications and the things that you've got to hit. And if they don't hit them and hit them well, I'm like, I have to, I have to turn it off. You're like, I'm not into it. Sorry. Yep. No, I feel you. I feel you. I'm glad to hear that you read, though. So that's I, oh, I have yeah. the strong belief that if you if you're going to be a writer, you really need to know what's being written now. Absolutely. You know, you can't just have read you know read something from the '60s, and you might have read it a thousand times and have it memorized. Readers have changed. Yeah. People have changed. So you have it's to keep so up. True. Yeah, mm -hmm. so true. So true. Yeah. I mean, actually, interestingly, I'm I'm listening to a throwback right now, uh, the, the Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and nice. looking at the the way the prose is constructed and the way the dialogue is constructed and all that mm -hmm. stuff, it seems very old to me. You know, I mean, you can tell the difference, and mm -hmm. I loved those stories growing up. Yep. Um, and I haven't read them since I was probably a teenager, right? So it's kind of this neat, interesting thing to go back. But I mean, one thing that is just amazing about those books is is the the world building. I mean, just just yeah, so creative. I mean, like even today, the stuff that he is coming up with is is pretty original. And back in the day, I mean, gee, I can't even imagine like there was nothing like that out there. Um, anyway, true originals, so man. True originals. Yeah, so that's that's my routine in the morning. I come back, I have lunch, and then the afternoon is usually spontaneous because I I bridle under structure. So just to get me to do half a day's worth of structure, that's tough enough. And it's working, mm -hmm. so I like it. Nice. Yeah, Mark and um, Bill agree with you. They said they love those books. Nice. All right, I have a really tough one for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. What color are your favorite pair of shoes? Electric blue. Electric blue. What kind of shoes are they? Do you want to see them? Yes, you have them. That'd be awesome. Be right back. They <laughs> saved my life. There's a story that goes with these shoes. Oh, oh, there's we, we had story time. Todd was the right person to come on. I hope everyone's having fun. And I want to thank Jessica and Chris for following. Thank you so much. I didn't want to interrupt awesome stories. Oh, and Wolf Lady, thank you for following. Did I miss anyone else? I don't think so. That's awesome. Thank you. You'll be here for all the awesome authors. We're here every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central. Are you here? Okay, let's see him. I was wasting time. Okay. Oh, they're so pretty. They are bright. So that must be what you walk in, huh? This is what I hiked the Colorado Trail in. Oh. Oh, I have a, I have a question about that. So don't tell me the story because I'm going to ask okay. you a question about that. So those, keep them. Those, those are great props for later. Those shoes saved my life. They are my oh, favorite see? shoes. Well, I guess I could skip to the story. Who says I have to do these in order? So how about this summer, you took a monumental trek across Colorado with your son. 
Yes, over 300, excuse me, over 450 miles we walked. Holy moly. My um, son and husband did Philmont, and I think that was like 82 miles, and they almost died. So that's impressive. <laughs> All right, so what in the heck possessed you to torture yourself like that? Um, you know, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the first part of the answer to that question is that I have this uh, um, persisting notion that I'm still in my 20s. And so... <laughs> When the, it all started, when um, this friend of mine from college, I've known her for forever, her daughter um, wanted to hike the Colorado Trail when she was 16. And she had just turned 16 not too long ago. And she wanted to go with a friend, but the friend couldn't go. And so she was really bummed because she wanted to do it during the summer. And the mom was like, I don't want her to go alone. And I was just, you know, I don't even know who I could send with her, you know. And I was like, I'll go. <laughs> and she's like, no. I'm like, no, what do you mean? No. She's like, you're 50. I'm like, <laughs> I thinking in my head, I'm like, screw you. Like, <laughs> like I can still do it. I can totally I'll, do this. I'll shorten the story as much as I can. This is a phrase that I use with Chris a lot. We talk almost every day um, when I'm walking my trail and uh, I always say long story short. And then I proceed to talk for like an hour and a half. Um, so <laughs> should I be giving Chris a buzzer so she knows when to pause you? Is that what I should have done? <laughs> yes. So long story short, the friend of my, the daughter of my friend went, ended up going with her father, her father, like a a whole bunch of time opened up for him. And by the time that all kind of wound down, I had asked Dash if he wanted to go with me and, and this friend of mine's daughter. And he's like, sure. And then when that kind of went its separate way, he and I were going to do the trail. And by then I was excited. Right. And just assumed, you know, hey, I have run a marathon. I have, you know, gotten my black belt in Taekwondo. I've done all these physical things. Hiking the trail, all I got to do is walk. How hard can it be? (laughs) (laughs) Famous last words. Famous last words. And any, like, extreme hiker out there uh, is just probably chuckling because you do have to train for this sort of thing. And I can tell you firsthand you have to train for this sort of thing. I have pictures of my feet after the first week. You do not want to see them. They would gross you out. (laughs) Suffice it to say, the pictures of my feet after the first week would gross you out. And it was, I was this close to not continuing on. And there are five weeks of this. Do not show the pics, Chris says. <laughs> yeah, my husband's blisters had blisters, so I am sure I've seen similar pics. Yes, yes. So he's a hiker as well. No, no, no. It was just Philmont. See, he didn't prep either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And his body paid for it. Yeah, my son was the one who kept me going during that. He was yeah. he was the one. I was like, buddy, I don't know. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to keep going because I mean, like, I was literally trying to levitate. You know, there's when you when you can't step on your feet, like what else are you supposed to step on? I mean, you get really creative. You step on the edges of your feet and you step on the tiptoes of your feet or the heels of your feet. I mean, like, it's just whatever you can think of to stop the pain. Um, anyway, so uh, so yeah, so we did that. It, it was five weeks we were out there, um, and uh, the first two. Uh, were pretty rough. And then the third one was pretty interesting. Uh, and then at the end of the third one, as we were just starting to get acclimated, um, I went and sprayed myself in the face with bear mace. Um, that was really nice. That was, that you were being tormented. You were being tormented enough. You had to like bring it to the next level. Yes. It was at a moment where we didn't know if we were going to have a ride. Um, I thought Laura was lost. She was supposed to pick us up. She was like 
two and a half hours late. Uh, the sun was going down. I'm like, if we don't get a ride now, I don't know if we're going to get a ride. And we were out of food. Um, we could have had some water, but like we couldn't have stayed for much longer because, you know, we'd already hit that hiker hunger um, threshold where we were just starving all the time. So mm -hmm. we couldn't have we couldn't have hung out for very long, though. We did have enough water because we had a water filter also, obviously, and there was a water source close by. But we were we were starting to panic about, OK, we got to get to a town. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when I sprayed myself in the face with bear mace. Um, so that just added to the whole, uh, the whole moment. It was great. So this is probably, yes, uh, Jagurns, <laughs> yikes, bear mace, uh, Jagurns says, uh, yes. That's Jessica. Yeah, that's Jessica. Jessica, yeah, it was bear mace. Uh, honest to God, bear mace that uh, Chris made me take, actually. I should blame her. She kept waiting, waiting for me to blame her because I wasn't going to take Bear Mace, and she made me take Bear Mace. And um, so I should blame her now because she's been expecting it all this time, and I haven't because, you know, it's not really her fault that I pulled out the Bear Mace and operated it incorrectly and sprayed myself. But um, <laughs> let's blame her anyways. <laughs> she wants she wants to make it clear that she did not tell you to spray yourself yeah, with it she did not she that did was not. not part of it no no that was not so what happened it. was is i had put it in this quick draw pouch on my backpack and while we were waiting for the ride i put my backpack on the ground and sat on the backpack which was the first time i'd ever done that because i always told myself don't sit on the backpack because you could puncture the uh you know the sleeping pad or whatever but i was so exhausted and so mad that i just like screw it and of course i sat down and the little safety catch on the bear mace came off sideways and I heard this hissing sound. I was like, where does that hissing sound come from? coming from? I was like, oh no, I've punctured my pad. That's what it is. And I got down and I realized it was the bear mace and I picked up the bear mace and I thankfully turned it away from myself and I tried to put the um, uh, catch back on. Well, I had a cliff bar in my hand and for some stupid reason, I didn't throw the cliff bar into the gully or put it down or anything. I just kept... You were starving. No, I get that. It was my last cliff bar, too. That's right. And afterwards, it smelled like bear mace, so I couldn't eat it anyways. <laughs> I thought you should have just thrown it in the dirt. I could have more easily eaten it if it had been dirt-covered as opposed to mace-covered. <laughs> and and so the thing is all slippery with bear mace, and I slipped and depressed the trigger. And it shot out like a shotgun with, like, curls of bear mace coming around the side. So if ever you have cause to use bear mace, I did not shoot it into my eyes. I shot it directly away from myself and the blast of it made it curl back into my eyes, right? So now I'm seeing you and the bear curled up on the trail going out. There was no bear. No, no, but I mean, if you were actually going to oh, have to use it, yes. like there's a flaw in the system. Yeah, and I'm guessing the bear would get over it way faster than I would. <laughs> And now he's really mad. <laughs> so if ever you, all of you lovely readers out there, ever need to use bear mace and the bear's coming at you, trust me, point, close your eyes and shoot. <laughs> Do not have your eyes open when you shoot that thing. Or go like this, you know? I mean, like, whichever. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, Chris says that you're usually extraordinarily coordinated. So this was particular. I'm like, wait, didn't you say black belt in Taekwondo? She's right. You really should have been able to handle this. I was, I should have. There was no, there was absolutely no reason. And it, uh, except it, you were uh, starving. Let's face it. Our brains don't work properly. Yes. It, it, uh, gave rise to my second and my final, I think, uh, trail name, which was spicy eyes. Oh, I don't know. They've given you a new one. Quick draw. Quick draw. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, where were you in segment? Oh, uh, I with the audience. That was fun. <laughs> yes. I'm not that. Clear. You should have been there. <laughs> okay, okay, so let's see. Here you go. I have a serious one for you. You ready? Yes. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Utterly chocolate. Well, Bites that was easy. Well, it could also be moose tracks. That's also a really good one. You know, I'm kind of like a Labrador retriever. You put something in front of me, I'm going to eat it. So any ice cream is really good. Although I'm not that particularly fond of cherry ice cream. Much to the chagrin of both my children who adore cherry ice cream. Well, that just means they don't have to share it. I don't see the That's right. Mm -hmm. They don't. So question, what do you hope your readers get from your work? Oh, that's an excellent question. And um, and a good serious question too. Um, uh, I had to bring down the mood. That's my job. Yeah, no, it's, I don't want to bring down the mood, but <laughs> that, that's, that's like, there's, there's a whole story attached to why I write. And, and that is directly attached to, um, uh, to what I write about and what I hope people are going to get out of it. So long story short, <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> This might be 10 questions with it your favorite It doesn't mean author. what it sounds like it means. Um, so, so long story short, uh, when I was uh, 14, my parents got divorced. And during that time, it was pretty awful for me. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a guy that doesn't like conflict, um, which is interesting because, you know, I've studied long and hard how to end a conflict if I need to. <laughs> but, but I'm a guy that I just I don't like conflict. I don't want to get into it. I don't like people being angry at one another. I, I'd much rather make a friend than an enemy. Um, and so this whole like schism between my parents was just horrible for me. Right. Um, I didn't know how to make it. Because you couldn't fix it. Right. Yeah. I couldn't fix it. Yeah. It was it was it was like it was beyond me. And so. Uh, some of my friends actually had situations like that. There was a lot of divorces happening in the 1980s um, and they chose some pretty dark paths, um, you know, vandalism, some of them stealing, some of them got into drugs. There was some pretty bad things that they did, let their grades just go to hell in, in school, um, ignored their schoolwork, things like that. And I fell into reading fantasy novels, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Lloyd Alexander, Piers Anthony, uh, Terry Brooks, Margaret Rice and Tracy Hickman, all of these early fantasy um, writers. And uh, I met Margaret Weiss later on. She actually got me my first gig. So we can talk about that at some point if you want. But anyways, um, this I fell into this. And this is a speech that I give to schools where I talk about, you know, I, I introduce the word trope. And usually elementary school kids don't know what the word trope is. And you'd be surprised how many elementary school teachers don't know what the word trope is either. Um, but I, I talk about how, you know, the, the epic fantasy trope is somebody with very little power and somebody with great big power are going to fight, right? There's going to be a battle in the end. And over the course of the story, the person with little power kind of goes on this journey where they either accrue more personal power themselves or get that item like the ring uh, that is able to be the, you know, to find the Achilles heel of the bad guy. And therefore, in the end, this this person you would never have expected, you know, like Frodo Baggins, to be able to defeat Sauron in the end does actually do it. So, gee, I wonder why that trope really appealed to me at that moment in my life where I had no control over this, you know, my, my world crumbling apart. So I did so many of us. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't understand at the time 
why, uh, you know, why I wanted to do that. But later I did. Uh, and, and I, I just, I've just been eternally grateful to all of those authors and all authors in general for putting themselves out there and creating these things that could have such an impact on me in such a positive way. I mean, ideas move the world. Creativity creates everything that we know. So, I mean, like oftentimes I have been to this place and I'm sure lots of writers have been to this place where it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm wasting my days. You know, I'm just being frivolously writing down these stupid little stories that don't matter at all. That like, it's not like I built a skyscraper or, you know, you know, cured cancer or, I mean, I'm just writing these stupid little stories, but I tell you that 14 year old wouldn't understand what I was talking about. That 14 year old me would have been, you know, this changed my life. This it, it completely changed the entire trajectory. Ideas move the world. And so um, so that's why I write and what I want to put into my stories. And this is actually, do you see how I came back around to the original question? I, I, I'm impressed. Hearing I'm impressed. your question. Um, I mean, what I put into my stories, I want there to be an inspiration in the end. I want there to be this, maybe coming close to an answer, you know, of, of what one can and should do when faced with such, uh, horrific odds. You know, I like heroes. I write because of heroes and I want people to feel that sense of heroism at the end of the story. Perfect. That is a great reason. I couldn't think of a better one. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure I think we had a question from Mark and the question was, how's that book coming along? <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> Mark an inside joke here. And bought me dinner so that I would start writing the book that he wanted to read, um, which, you know, Ooh. I got to say, that was a very effective tactic. Um, I came back from the Colorado Trail and I'd been kicking around an idea of what kind of story I wanted to write to incorporate the elements of the trail. And of course, I was thinking purely fiction. I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a fiction story and I've got a couple of ideas for stories. You know, one involves a young woman who's like an overachiever in high school, but in her senior year, something really horrible happens to, you know, this, this, uh, leader of her alpha girl clique. Right. And so instead of pursuing this just naked achievement all the time, just like pure achievement all the time, she decides to go hike the Colorado trail to kind of find her spiritual self. Right. Um, so that was this idea that I had and, uh, <laughs> and Mark sat and listened to me, you know, as I'm, you know, drinking my 14th Coke at this Mexican restaurant that we're sitting at. And, um, <laughs> and he's like, well, I think you ought to write three books. And I was like, that was just such an outrageous idea. I mean, that of course, immediately I was interested. I'm like three, like three Colorado trail books. He's like, sure. He's like, so I think you should write the fiction story that you want to write, which I could tell he has no interest in at all. It's <laughs> like, so obviously you need to do that. So write the fiction book. But what I want to read is I want to read your actual journey. I want you to tell me what the story was from your perspective. And then when you're done with that, I want you to go and write your son's perspective. So you can have these like dueling dad at age 50, son at age 14 perspectives about what was important to you on the trail. And I remember walking home because the restaurant we went to is close enough to my house that I can walk. I remember walking home and thinking it over and thinking it over. And I was like, huh, I wonder, I wonder if I could even do that. I wonder if, cause like I told you before, anytime I tried to ever write something autobiographical goes great guns for one chapter, maybe two. And then it just completely falls down a hole. Right. Well, it's hard so. to see the meaning in your own life. I understand that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I woke up the next morning 
and started writing on it and it was it was not not to the fire hose you know drinking from a fire hose extent that summer of the fetch was mm-hmm. but it just pulled me along it just started coming out paragraph after paragraph page after page and so i started i think it was what was it chris she can probably tell me i think it was like the 12th of november when i started this book i abandoned not, and I'm sorry if anybody here is a Whisper Prince uh, fan, but I was working on book three of the Whisper Prince for NaNoWriMo, and I got about 25,000 words written on it, and then, you know, Mark came to town. So you can blame Mark <laughs> if you wanted to read the Whisper Prince early next year. You're going to have to wait till late next year, probably. Um, <laughs> and I started writing on this Colorado Trail book. Well, I'm like 65,000 mm-hmm. words into it um, at this point. It's just been nice. more than 2,000 words a day. Boom, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And it's, I don't, I don't know what it is, and I even hesitate talking about it. You know, um, if you follow Stephen King's rules of you know how to write, you really shouldn't talk about something in the middle of a rough draft. But Stephen King and I don't share that sensibility. I pretty much anybody <laughs> anything uh, at any given moment. But I will say, I'm kind of guarding against deciding what the book is. Like, is it an adventure book on the trail? Is it a you know sort of pseudo parenting book because there's a lot of interaction between dash and i and a lot of parenting moments you know is this sort of like a oh i did this with my son and this is how we both evolved me as a parent you know um but there have been some i think some of my best writing in this book and perhaps some of my best writing ever is when something happened on the trail and i will I will scurry down a rabbit hole to my past to like when I was 14 or 12 or 10 and these momentous events that have shaped my personality started to pop up. So it's possible at this point that this is like some kind of memoir or something like some kind of like, this is how Todd Fonestock came to be Todd Fonestock. So we'll see. We'll see in the end. I mean, those may get cut, in fact. I mean, like, I am not a stranger to uh, slaying my darlings, uh, as uh, who Mm -hmm. said that first? Ernest Hemingway, I think. Kill kill your darlings. A lot of people said it. I can't remember who said it first. Um, So I'm not not afraid to do that and just keep that as, ah, this is the best thing I ever wrote. Too bad it couldn't go into a book. Um, Well, it couldn't go into this book. You never know. That's right. It could go into some later book. So, um, so we'll see. It's just, it's very, very loose at this point. Um, but there's, there's some real gems in there amidst a whole bunch of crap, I'm sure, which is usually the way it goes in a rough draft. So that's awesome. Yeah. So we can blame Mark Stallings for that. Well, we'll wait whether we want to blame him or give him credit after we get to read the book. So we'll see Mark. We'll see. (laughs) So let's see. Ooh, how about this one? What is your least favorite chore around the house? Ooh, least favorite chore least around favorite. the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. What do I do around no, the house? Come on now. There's a bunch that I don't like to do, but there's one in specific and it's not, it's not popping to my head. Like it's one that I'm like, I would rather, I would rather do anything else than that. And I can't remember what the heck it is now. I've just blocked it from my mind. It's so traumatic that I can't, I can't imagine. I, uh, so apparently you don't do it very often. Oh, Chris knows. See, Chris really does know you. She even knows what chore. Oh, what is it? Chris, remind me. She usually does this for me. <laughs> Writing. No. <laughs> Dave's Writing. Yeah, that's right. No, Dave, that's that's some of ours. That's cleaning bathrooms. I was thinking of cleaning bathrooms is definitely not my favorite, but I'll do it. I just <laughs> don't ever do it. <laughs> I would do it, but I do it. So let's just go with cleaning bathrooms. If, if if the one that I'm trying to think of pops up. 
I will, I'll, 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 I'll shout it out, but that's, it's got probably, it's either cleaning bathrooms or emptying the dog run. <laughs> oh, that's part of loving the dog, right? We have to do the it, rest of it. Yes. Yeah. Let's see. You are a mainstay at many conventions and actually Zafo has a different picture he can pull up too. So Zafo, if you want to pull up the convention one. So you're a mainstay at many conventions. I met you at Superstars mm -hmm. um, as both a vendor and a panelist. So I've seen you uh, in under both roles. So can you tell us about your favorite experience? Oh, at a con? Mm-hmm. And it could be either, you know, with a fan or on a panel or any of those yeah. things. Um, give me a second to think. I just kind of, I mean, Okay, so there are so, so, so many amazing moments at a con. I mean, probably in my top five was being on a panel with uh, uh, Terry Brooks. God, that was great. Finding out that I had been mispronouncing Shannara for ever. Um, it's Shannara, but I still can't say it that way because it's been Shannara since I was, you know, 12. Yeah, but um, what an awesome example does he put for the rest of us authors? He's like, look, everyone pronounces it wrong. I gave up. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, for no, you. that was amazing. So, so being able to do that was amazing. Um, I think meeting Donald Moss for the first time and and having him uh, become my agent that was that that was that was height. That was quite a height. And actually, uh, Chris um, was instrumental in that. I won't say how she fractured the rules a little bit, and I don't want to get her in trouble. But um, <laughs> this is being recorded. We could talk about it later. <laughs> That's awesome. Terry Brooks, I like that answer. That's a great oh, answer. Yes, one of my highlights, uh, John Jonathan Mayberry uh, was on a panel with him at Superstars, and he called me the Hermione Granger of Comic-Con conventions. That was, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I was on a panel with Jonathan Mayberry at Dragon Con, so yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I have I to love say, that man. The highlight that's coming to my mind was at Fanex in Utah. Okay. I was selling books and I had I had been trying to get into Fanex a couple years in a row, but it's a super packed uh, convention. Like you have to have been going for years to even get a table there. And they expanded this new section to allow us to um, allow new people to come in. And so I, I got a table that year and I got in and um, we were like <laughs> – way off to the side and we were like this little this little afterthought that you know completely off the main track of everything and um it was so bad that 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 there were some people that were that had left or didn't show up or whatever and there were probably like a dozen vendors on this you know makeshift aisle that had come in and one by one they kept moving to these vacant spots that were in better areas mm -hmm. and i stayed um, and I ended up being the only person there. So like I had paid for one table and I had like four tables and I had spread out all my stuff and my son had come with me and he had brought a bunch of drawings. So he had his own table, you know, he was supposed to be like part of my table. So we had this whole corner to ourselves and it actually, actually ended up being good for me because when you're selling, you know, pictures, people walk up and they're like, I want that one. You give them a picture and you, you know, they walk away. But the way that I sell my books, as I imagine you can tell at this point, I can talk and talk and talk. And so if I can start talking to somebody and telling them a story, um, mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, if I can get them to listen to 60 seconds of me telling a story, mm -hmm. they're going to stay for the whole story. And half of the people that stay are going to buy a book, right? So I'm very much into talking to them. Mm -hmm. And this woman came by and she said, you know, I've got a certain amount of money and I want to get into a new series and I want to get into a new author. And there are a gazillion authors here. And so I'm going around and I'm, you know, you know, kind of 
checking out people and um, seeing what they're, you know, what they're selling. And so I'm like, okay. So I told her about Threadweavers and I told her about the Whisper Prince. Tower of the Four was not didn't exist yet. And, um, I ended up going very deep into Fairmist, which is the first book of the Whisper Prince and telling her this whole story about Fairmist, my, my hook for Fairmist. And she's like, you know, I could see your eyes gleaming. You can tell when somebody's interested. Right. And mm-hmm. usually that's the moment when they say, okay, give me one. Or my favorite is, you know, this, there was, there was a different guy. I'll tell you about a story in a second. I, I tend to get distracted. So anyway, we'll stay on her for a moment. Um, and, uh, and she said, okay, I'm going to go and listen to some other pitches and I'll be back. Kiss of death. Anytime somebody says, I'll be back, like the odds of them actually coming back drop to 10%. So even if they have that gleam in their eye, you just went from 90% chance to sell something to 10% chance to sell something. Because in a place like a Comic-Con, everything is shiny and bright and cool and interesting. And, you know, they can get caught in a million different places. So... She left. This was probably, I don't know, midway through the day. Mm-hmm. Didn't see her again. This was the final day, right? As I'm closing up, as I'm like starting to break things down for the final day, she appears and she's like, okay, I went to every table in the place. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. She's like, gotta have your book. Gotta have it. You had the best sales pitch. You know, I've got to, I've got to have fairness. She read it. She gave me a five-star review afterwards. She like read it in a day and a half. She was like, Oh my gosh, you know, he gave me this hype. I love the sales pitch and the book lived up to it and more. I just love it, love it, love it. So that was a fantastic, fantastic, uh, moment. Probably, probably, well, it's the highlight I'm remembering at this particular moment. Which Um, perfectly works. I love that. And I have to tell you about this one guy, though, because like you get, you know, you get into this mode where you could go two, three hours without selling a book. And then all right. of a sudden you'll sell one, two, three, four, five, you know, go mm-hmm. real quick. and so I had had been having one of those days where like half the day had gone by and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I drove all the way out here. I paid the money. I'm going to mm-hmm. go home with like four hundred dollars in my pocket and I won't even recoup my expenses. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes up and he just does not look like somebody who's going to purchase anything. He's just like. somebody made me come here (laughs) yeah exactly and he's like tell me about this one and i'm like okay so i'm giving him my sales pitch and i'm not seeing the gleam in his eye and i am not seeing any interest whatsoever and he's like tell me about this one and sometimes you'll get people like that you know they've got they've got 20 minutes to kill and they're gonna go you know make the author jump through hoops and tell them stories and they're like okay thank you and they'll just leave right and i figured this was one of those guys but you know what you can never tell so i kept doing my thing my little song and dance and he gets done and i'm like so you think you might want to get one he's like I'll take all of them. (laughs) Holy moly. It's like, you know, $200 just like that. (laughs) That was a nice nice moment. And you just, you just can't tell. You can never tell, never turn a sour face on anyone because you just don't know what's going on in their head. That is, that would be the best advice I could give to anyone who was thinking of going to a con and selling books is, Presents to everyone your best face because you just don't know who's got, you know, $200 in their pocket that they want to spend at your table and you just got to give them a reason to do it. Yeah. And it worked. It totally worked. It's a numbers game. That's what I tell people. It's really, it's a numbers game at the convention. Numbers game. Just talk to everyone. Yes. Is that Kevin using Cursed Dragon Ship for the test? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. He said, you know, or who is listening behind them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You think people aren't watching you do your thing? They're totally watching you do your thing. Yeah, I'll tell you, I found that the uh, 
my biggest audience because I write YA fantasy as well. And I always noticed at conventions, my biggest audience was teenage girls with their fathers because their fathers won't tell them no. They're at a convention with them. Yeah. So their teenage yep. daughter's like, oh, I kind of want this book. And the dad's like, oh, get it. It's a book. <laughs> yep, exactly. Right. It's yeah. like, oh, they want to read. Yeah. yeah no, that's true. So true. Yeah, it works. It's it's a nice audience. It works. Um, let's see. What is your potluck go-to? Oh, if I bring something to a potluck? Mm-hmm. Okay. I like these non sequiturs. I, there are two foods that I make, well, there are three foods now that I make very well. I make myself an omelet every single day almost. Um, that's, that's what I eat for lunch um, and I don't have breakfast. So um, I am pretty sweet at making omelets, but obviously that's not a potluck thing. It's just one of the three things I make. The other thing that I make really well is chocolate chip cookies. I make the mm-hmm. best chocolate chip cookies in the world. And if you doubt me, next time I make them, I'll have to give you one. You won't doubt me anymore. And then the third thing that I make, which is my specialty, if I'm, if I, if I don't have the time, I will make chocolate chip cookies and bring those. But if I do have the time, it's uh, green chili. So chicken green chili. That sounds delicious. That's a great, great choices. It is one awards two, three out of the five years that I entered it. So that's fantastic. We might need that recipe. Um, Let's see. Steven wants to know if it's a French omelette, French French, I can't say French now, a French omelet that you make. A French omelet. You know what? It's a Todd. I didn't know that there was a, a, such a thing as a French omelet. What is a French omelet? I don't Steven's going to have to tell us. The only thing I know about the French is that they don't like any color. Oh, it's Jacob. Sorry. Hi, Jacob. You were on earlier as McFly. You changed your name. Um, ah, the uh, All I know is that the French don't like any color in their eggs. That's the only thing I know. Uh-oh, Dave and Jessica have great ideas. Those cookies need to show up at first pages. Yes. <laughs> yes, cookies at first pages. Well, is, I mean, like, if you're going to have really good chocolate chip cookies, you have to eat them. I mean, if they're going to be, like, at that that high, high level, you have to eat them within the first two days of them being made. I mean, you can still eat them a week down the road, but they're going to lose something, right? So I'd have to make it, like, either – at Chris's house, you know. I was just going to say, why don't you just go to Chris's house? That's exactly what I was going to say. And then you've got like a, a different kitchen. And not to say that Chris's kitchen is deficient in any way. It is far better than my kitchen in most ways. But it's uh, unfamiliar for me as a cooking space. So. I don't know, superstars people. I'm just hearing excuses. So yeah, I don't you know. know. I will bring cookies. I'm going <laughs> to bring the cookies. I'll bring them. We should just all bring cookies and share. All right. So. Let's see. What else do we have? What is your idea of a vacation? Um, my idea of a vacation, mm-hmm. honestly, hiking the Colorado Trail. I like I like adventure. I like things that I haven't done. Um, I like physical things, things that challenge me physically. There's something that just that pulls me into that. I've done lots of road trips. I enjoy road trips. Like my wife would say, a beach, a drink, toes in the sand, you know, soaking up the sun. I would totally enjoy that. I would, I would like that. But for me, I like an adventure. I really do. It's, 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 it's always pulled me, whether it's a, a physical adventure, a social adventure, any kind of adventure is that, that, that going someplace I've never been before. All cool. Love it. Fantastic. So you like a vacation where you need a vacation when you get home. You know, I don't like those vacations, but, but what, what some people would consider an adventure vacation to be like that. I don't. 
I consider uh, it like going to a Thanksgiving where I have to, you know, manage the emotional states of all of my relatives. That's the kind of vacation that I need a vacation from when I get home. <laughs> that I, especially earlier when you said you like to solve problems and be a peacemaker, that would yes. be a nightmare. I could see that. It, it definitely takes up a lot of my time and energy. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Steve Ruskin has a question. Hi, Steve. Yes. He wants to know how you keep your hair so long and luxurious and whether it got so bad on the Colorado trail that you were ever mistaken for Bigfoot or Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take it down. Oh, there you go. Hair flip. Look, look at the luxuriousness of that hair. I, I really actually have no idea. I, I use like a two in one <laughs> shampoo. It's, it's nothing special. You know, it's like a, it's like, you know, the shampoo and the conditioner. It's like Pantene, which I think is like, you know, the, the base level shampoo these days. Um, <laughs> so nothing, I just, I don't do anything to it. Maybe that's why I don't mess with it a whole lot. I don't color it. I don't, you know, try and give it a perm or anything, you know, I mean, it's, yep. if that is even a thing anymore, I think perm is a word that comes from like the 1980s. Um, <laughs> that's awesome i was never mistaken for bigfoot uh, you know i'm actually not that hairy of a guy aside from my long luxurious uh mane of hair um so there were a lot hairier dudes on the trail um and some women actually <laughs> and some women well you know when you can't shave out there you gotta you gotta feel sorry for him i don't i understand um yeah steve says he wants to be just like you <laughs> he didn't say when he grows up but i i heard that in my head it was pantene yeah, I had somebody say, oh, my gosh, your hair smells good. I was like, um, it's just shampoo. I don't. Let's see. So let's see. Who do we we had a question somewhere. Where is it? David. He says, what's what's a genre you haven't written in that you'd like to try? Oh, goodness. And this uh, is our last question. So make it count. Yeah. Oh, gosh. no pressure. No uh, pressure. Thriller, probably. I've never written a thriller, but I'm, I, I'm, I, I feel like I, my natural talents, uh, lend, uh, I have a natural talent for action scenes in, in like epic fantasy. Like when the swords start flying, it's just like, usually I don't do more than one draft of those. It's usually, usually rare. I just, I get into the zone and I can picture it all. So probably a thriller would be fun, I think, to write. Um, not to mention the fact that I, I'd like to write something in, in modern day where there's like, you know, modern day kind of heroes. And I've just, I've just never done that. So, um, you know, utilizing guns and modern technology, being able to use modern phrases and things like that would be fun. Uh, so I think thriller. Yeah. That would be awesome. Well, you were great. Um, I think let's Zafo, let's put up the picture with all his books first. We had so many great stories, we didn't actually put up the covers. So I am actually going to ask one more question, even though we're running late, because I want to ask. Yeah, sure. I want to ask, um, where, how do you choose these covers? What's the inspiration? Okay, so I have to give a huge shout out to Rashid Alakroka, who is my cover artist. He's done everything that I've put out for the last three years. Um, all of my covers come from him. So you can see the range that he has. I mean, if you look at it closely, you can see that some similarities, you could probably tell that it's the same artist. But I mean, like from the Wild Main covers to um, Charlie Fiction, to Summer of the Fetch, to the Tower of the Four, to all the short stories that go along with Tower of the Four. I mean, he's just so talented. Um that, that I, I can't I can't talk him up enough. And if ever you want to get a cover, I highly recommend looking up Rashid um, because he's just so amazing. And and on top of that, aside from that, 
he's he's a gem to work with. I mean, like you cannot imagine a better, easier person to work with than this guy. I mean, he's just anyway. So so the the covers often come from um, me having an idea and then Rashid and I kind of talking it out. Um, so uh, like Charlie Fiction, that came that came from that. I mean, she's a ghost. She died uh, with the clothes on that she had while she was essentially seducing this guy, and so that's why she doesn't have a shirt. So that's why on the front <laughs> of the cover, she's got this jacket and no shirt. And then of course, Summer of the Fetch. A huge part of that story is climbing Half Dome, um, and uh, and that's why he's standing on this this iconic car that he drives everywhere, which is a 1967 bright orange El Camino called the Pumpkin, which is a real car that's taken straight from my childhood, my teenage years. Um, wasn't my car. It was my brother's car. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I stuck it in the story. Um, and then, of course, you know, Tower of the Four is a it's a found family high fantasy story. It's it's these four people who are completely opposite in so many ways, and yet they have to come together and work together to actually uncover their magic. In this world, there are four paths to magic, and you have to have four people for them to all learn those paths at the same time. Otherwise, you can't just go and learn one path of magic on your own. It's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And if you don't have all four of them together, then you can't learn them. You can't just go off and learn the physical side of magic by yourself. You've got to have four people that bond together. And so it's... I love you know, that world building. So yeah, so that's um, that's where the idea for these four characters came from. Um, this, this sort of privileged, imperious princess, this sort of... Uh, uh, noble uh, rebel sort of character um, and then you've got this sort of uh, uh, rule-breaking Casanova kind of character and then you've got this this angry little uh, street urchin character and they hate each other for all kinds of different reasons but they have to come together in the end. I have to say I almost didn't do the interview because I was reading the first book, The Quad, and I didn't want to leave so I highly recommend it. Um, so so I can get back to reading. Uh, what I would like to know is where can people find you? Uh, so toddfaunastock.com is the quickest place to look at all the stuff that I do. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on my Facebook page, which is just Todd Faunastock on uh, uh, author page on online. And then I, you know, I mean, friend me on my personal page too. Sometimes I'll throw things up there that, um, that I don't put up on my author page and vice versa. Uh, and then my mailing list. So if you go to my website, you'll get a pop-up um, and and sign up for my mailing list. I put out uh, a newsletter less than once a month, so usually once or twice a month. I'm sorry, more than more than once a month, so once or twice a month. Excellent. I love it. All right. So yay. Everyone give clap for Todd. Todd was awesome tonight. So yay, Todd. And please make sure to review all the things you read. It's the best present you can give your authors. And also review us. So wherever you get your favorite podcast, if you just leave a review, we'd greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you next week where we interview author D.H. Dunn. Did you want to do a giveaway or? Yeah, it's after. We have to pretend now that we have like closing music. Oh, okay. Right? Like la, 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 la. There's our ending music. I don't. 